Ask for a favor. Uh huh. Can I hear you say, come on? Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. Come on. Kawaii. No. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Listen, I love Drew Brown from Pittsburgh. Come on. But his friends are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Not ramping down. We're just getting started. Nothing stops this train. Thank you. God bless. And come on. Hello and welcome, whether it's welcome for the first time or a hearty welcome back to the Come On Network podcast, episode 11 of the pod. And as always, thanks for the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating or review. We would appreciate any feedback, be that positive or constructive criticism, and you can leave that on whatever platform you may be listening to the Come On Network podcast on. You can find us on any device that gets internet or wherever you get and consume your podcast, be that Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, or another also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, as well as Twitch for gaming streams at Come On Network. That's at Come On, C-O-M-O-N Network, N-E-T-W-O-R-K on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also find us on the web at comeon.network. There you can find blog posts, stories, features, columns, hot takes, podcast episodes. You can learn more about our team and much more, including merch that is coming soon. That's comeon.network on any device that has internet. And of course, as always, the Come On Network podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor does everything for you, and they'll do it for free. You can create and record your podcast live from the app or upload a pre-existing recording, and Anchor will post and distribute it for you, as well as even match you with some potential sponsors. Visit Anchor by downloading the Anchor app on the iTunes or Google Play Store or by going online to anchor.fm with all that housekeeping take a cake and care of let's jump right in guys we don't have a special guest for this episode we'll tell you a little bit more about what's in store in terms of guests for later in the podcast a little bit later on in this episode but let's jump right in let's start by talking about the penguins we've had a while to sit on this and by the way i'm joined uh, today for at least this segment by donnie chedrick joe smelter and austin shaw uh we've had a little bit of time to sit on this boys and it was ugly for the penguins to say the least in that first round or the qualifying round series against the Montreal Canadiens. The NHL, I guess, is counting this as still being in that playoff streak for the Penguins, the last I saw, uh, but really an abysmal performance, I think, to say the least, for Pittsburgh against uh, the Montreal Canadiens wrapped up about a week and a half ago. I, I've been dreading this moment. I haven't wanted to do this. I still don't want to do it because I am that pissed off. I mean, we waited months and months and months for a team who – who f- had so much adversity to face and they, they had so many injuries all season long and we finally get to the big show and they shit the bed. I mean, completely shit the bed. They look terrible. They, they just didn't look like themselves. And I guess we're seeing now that, you know, Gino was hurt. Crosby was hurt, but still, man, like that just, that was not a fun time. Yeah, they, they stunk the, the whole series. I mean, they, they got one win. Um, and, Kyle, I know you mentioned the playoff streak apparently continues, but it, it shouldn't. Um, no, I, I absolutely count, shouldn't. I, I don't count all. a qualifying round as a, a playoff round. 
Um, even all the graphics said qualifying round instead of playoff round. So uh, it's going to hit some people here with a hard reality. And I know, uh, you know, Steeler fans have also gotten hit with this hard reality that the Pens just are not as good as we think they are in Pittsburgh. Uh, the two best players, which I still think most of the time are the two best players, are in their mid-30s. Crosby's 33. Malkin is 34. Uh, the best defender on the team is a guy that I think is overrated. That's Chris Letang. He and Malkin are always in trade rumors, especially now. Uh, and Matt Murray is on his way to getting run out of town, just like Marc-Andre Fleury did a few years ago. The Pens are ready to send another goalie out of Pittsburgh. And this guy is only 26 years old. Marc-Andre Fleury at least made a little bit of sense in his departure. The guy was in his 30s. There was a young, cheaper option behind him that was playing very good hockey. And that move made a lot of sense for the Penguins to move on from Marc-Andre Fleury. Now Tristan Jari will be the guy that ends up taking over. I don't know about next season, but in the somewhat near future because – it, it's seeming that even though the Penguins offense was pretty bad in that qualifying round, Murray is seeing more blame than a lot of the offensive players. I just don't see on this roster right now a lot of young superstars. Maybe Jake Gensel. Uh, Austin, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's like the only combination of a young guy that can seemingly be a super superstar, but he'll never be considered – another Crosby or a McDavid or a Matthews. So uh, I, I just think that the Pens are not really as good as what people think. Um, and it's just an unfortunate thing that we all have to face soon. Yeah, and we can talk all day about what happened this year and how embarrassing it is to lose to a team that was 24 for 30 in the NHL um, standings. But this is something that goes far beyond just what happened in the four games in that bubble. The Penguins have won one playoff game in their last 10 tries, and it's getting progressively worse and worse ever since they hoisted the second straight Stanley Cup in Nashville in 2017. Going back to 2018, they lose to Washington in six games in the second round. No shame in that, obviously. That Cats team ended up winning the Cup, and it was just their time, and things happened. The next year, 2019, against what I think was a pretty ordinary Islanders team, they get swept and get absolutely worked in four games by a team that talent-wise shouldn't have been really that close to them. And New York was just able to kind of have their way with them in four games. And then this year, um, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head, just embarrassing to lose to the Canadians. Worse to do it in four games and worse still to do it when even in the game they won, which is game two, they didn't look particularly good. This isn't a case where – the Penguins had a bad series, and it's just a, it's just a product of what tends to be a pretty fluky um, NHL playoff system. This is something that's been in regression ever since the Penguins won their last Stanley Cup. I think 2017 is the last cup we'll see for a while. I don't think the Penguins necessarily need to go into a total rebuild like the Pirates do, as long as Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Mulgan are on the roster. You don't need a complete teardown, but this is something that has been sinking gradually over the past few years, and that was on display in that bubble. This Penguins team, the cup years are over. Um, it's time for changes. You got rid of the entire coaching staff besides Sullivan, and now 
Um, you need to overhaul the roster a little bit. So this was not a fluke. Um, it's been this team's been in regression for the past few years, and that was on display this past past month. And uh, things have to change. Yeah, and you know, like I see what you're saying, Donnie and Joe. Like you're saying that the Penguins just aren't as good as people seem, and I, I agree with that to an extent because if you looked at their season, they were winning. Like they were beating good teams all season long. They weren't really losing to a bunch of crap teams. Like, yeah, Montreal beat them once, but like, you know, they beat St. Louis, they beat Colorado, they beat Chicago, they beat all these good teams this year, and they beat Toronto multiple times. You know, it's just like, what really happened? Like, and last year too, they looked good during the season. Like, both the past two postseasons, I honestly believed that they were going to beat the Islanders and beat the Canadians. And then they just didn't show up. I, th- I think it's more than just them not being as good as people think. I think it's they're, they're just not showing up at the playoffs anymore. What do you guys uh, think about that? I have, I have a serious problem, and I know I mentioned this on the hockey preview that we did for episode nine of, of the podcast. I know and I had said it in a couple of the commentary pieces that we had on our website uh, at network. I have a serious problem with this having been a series at all. And I, I said from the beginning, I said I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost a game just because Carey Price steals a game or, or whatever happens for this to be a four-game series. But there's no excuse for it going to five, and there's no excuse for the Penguins not winning the series. And I still feel that way about this Canadians team, despite them taking a game from a pretty damn good Philadelphia team uh, right now. They've taken a game as we record this from – the Flyers, but still trail 3-1. This shouldn't have been a series, and I agree wholeheartedly with a couple of things that each of you have said. Uh, Number one, I don't think they showed up in the playoffs. I don't think they showed up to the bubble at all to play good hockey. And and my biggest problem was it, and I felt like in game three toward the end after they had the 3-1 lead, and then really all of game four, I never saw desperation from that team. Where was it? Why does it take 60 minutes or until the net's empty for you guys in the last couple minutes of game four for me to see any semblance of desperation from that hockey team? I thought it was ridiculous. I thought that uh, personally I would have fired Mike Sullivan, uh, but you, obviously you can't do that with the contract years that he's got left. And I, I'm a huge Mike Sullivan fan. I think he's a great coach. But I think he also ha- shares a lot of the blame in this series and has to kind of be a, a scapegoat for the series as well. Number one, Patrick Marlowe was abysmal all series. He didn't do a damn thing. Not a thing. Jack That's Johnson like- didn't do a damn thing. Justin thing. Schultz is lucky that Jack Johnson was on his pairing, and Penguins fans hate Jack Johnson so much because Justin Schultz was pathetic in the series. And, and Zach Aston Reese, nothing offensively, not nothing physically. Uh, nothing was good for the Penguins in this series. I didn't think Matt Murray was bad in the three games that he played. I would have liked him a little bit better in game one. And I think the last goal in game three was a really bad goal that he shouldn't have let in. And I agreed wholeheartedly with the decision to go with Tristan Jari, but Murray was good in game two. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was the best player on the ice that night. For the well, Penguins. And, and look at it, like you said, there was no excuse for the Penguins to even go five games with yes. them had they had won. It went the exact opposite. Murray stole a game, and the Canadians won them all. You know what I mean? Like, it was exact opposite of what we thought was going to happen. I just have – I have a problem, and I don't want to blame – I don't want to just point to Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz and who, if you want to throw Marlowe or Jared McCann in there because he was Patterson. awful too. Marcus Pedersen. You want to throw those guys in? 
Where's Evgeny Malkin? I don't care that his shoulders hurt. Malkin has what one goal in the last ten playoff games for the Penguins? Uh, that are, is a one and nine record. Like Joe mentioned, Matt Murray has been the same way. Just as much as Jack Johnson has not won a playoff series here, Sidney Crosby hasn't won a playoff series in the last two years in Pittsburgh. And I, I think at some point we need to start looking at some of the stars and saying the production from the stars is not good enough for this team to be in, moving on in the playoffs. And whenever we can start looking at the stars and, and leave them out of the conversation of being blameless, like so many Penguins fans, and I think Steelers fans are the same way, Pirates fans in, in 13 to 15 were the same way with the stars, you want to leave them blameless because you don't want to put things on them. You'd rather pick out the supporting cast or pick out the guy you hate like Jack Johnson and say he's the reason why they lost. I'll tell you what, Jack Johnson wasn't on the ice when five different Penguins watched the Montreal Canadiens step in on Tristan Jari and score the only uh, or the go-ahead, the winning goal in that game four. So I can't put that on Jack Johnson. I don't know about the rest of the series. I'm certainly – he was awful in game three, and, and so was Justin Schultz. Uh, in fact, I probably would have taken both of them out for game four. But, again, I don't know what else you do. I think the move to get rid of the three assistant coaches is good. That'll change the locker room a little bit, um, and, and we'll see what happens. But uh, there's also a lot to go on in free agency, you know, really outside of what's going on inside the room right now for the Penguins. You think if Jim Rutherford had a chance to undo the Marlowe trade, he would do it? Absolutely. I know. Yeah. I don't even. Do I don't even. I can't even remember who, who, who was exchanged in that trade, but whoever it was, it was too much. Yeah. He was irrelevant. He didn't do it. He didn't. And I'm, I'm looking at a Josh. I forgot Yoli. he was on the team. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at a Josh Yoli. The guy was a minus three in game three in 10 minutes. That is incredible to be able to be that bad in 10 minutes of ice time. And in game three, I mean, I don't think the guy did a single good thing in a penguins uniform. And listen, the guy's a hall of famer. The guy is a great hockey player. I think he can probably still play in the NHL. But I don't think he's coming back to Pittsburgh, and I wouldn't want him back in a, a Penguins sweater. I just don't think he gave the team anything after the trade. Yeah, they definitely wanted to give him, I guess, a Raymond Bork moment with being probably Marlowe's one of the better players who have never won a Stanley Cup. And 100%. they were hoping that he'd be a part of a team that, in theory, going back to January, if you ask the Depends had a chance to win the Stanley Cup in a few months' time, yeah, I think most people would have said yes. So, um, the goal was to add a veteran presence, add some speed, and give him that Raymond Bork moment um, at the end of the season. But obviously, none of that happened. And the trade, I think, is just absolutely blowing up in the Penguins' face. Yeah, I mean, seriously, on paper, I'll argue anybody that was the best team. If, if Definitely top four in the whole league on paper. And, I mean, obviously – they're one of the worst teams when it comes to actually playing because I still, I'm still just shocked. Like I it's, never in a million years would have saw it going like that ever. It's amazing how they were better with all of the injuries. And obviously this is before the pandemic and everyone had, we talked about it on the hockey preview. Everyone had mm -hmm. four or five months to sit around and get their legs fresh, but they were better with all that adversity and the injuries than they were in the playoffs completely healthy and with Jake Kensel coming back, which he's about the only one where I won't put much blame on for this series because I understandably so it takes a ton of time to come back from the injury that he did and get his hockey legs back. Oh, Marino was fantastic. And he's going to, I think he's going to be a star on the blue yep. line for the Penguins. Yep. Now that's one thing that they talked about. I don't know. It might've been in the Yoey article or somewhere, but they said that 
they, there was no chemistry all year. Like they had so many guys in and out of the lineups and line changes and everything, and they couldn't find it. And then when they had the opportunity to find that in the camp and in the exhibition and in games one and two and three, they, they just didn't do it. And that's what doesn't make sense to me. Like you have top guys, like really it should just be two guys. You have Sid and Jake, you have Gino and Rust or Zucker, like, it's not that hard to put these lines that work together, you know? Like, didn't Marino play with Schultz this year when Schultz was healthy? Why was that not the line? You know, like, honestly, what the fuck were they doing with the lineups? Seriously, what were they doing? It that's, doesn't that's Mike make Sullivan. sense. Nobody, nobody wants to go at Mike Sullivan, but you won't pull Jack Johnson out. You won't pull Justin Schultz out. You pulled Jared McCann out after a game, and you put in Lafferty, and he only played five minutes. And what the hell is the point in putting him in if he's only going to play five minutes? Seriously. And what even was that McCann switch up? Like, I get if, like, if you're trying something, but like you said, five minutes, that's it. No, I'll what, tell you what, you McCann, McCann wasn't the least of their problems no, in, no, no, no. in that series. He was bad, but he wasn't, he wasn't the biggest issue when he was pulled out of the lineup. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And, and like we said back in the, the cup runs, it's all about the depth. And – but that's if your top lines perform and no one performed, not one line. Yeah, going back to 16 and 17 in the playoffs, the stars showed up. Crosby won the consmite both years. Malkin was very good 16 and 17. Hornquist got the winning goal um, in Nashville. As fluky as it was, that's still a winning goal in the Stanley Cup final clincher. But your stars have to be your stars. And the Penguins, going back to the early 90s with Lemieux, Stevens, Yager, and Justin Plifero of Hall of Famers, they're a team – they're never a team that's just going to have a bunch of solid players and win that way. They have to have two, three elite players at least, and those guys have to show up when the games matter most. And I think, for the most part, Crosby played pretty well in this series. Malkin didn't. And to go far – your stars kind of have to earn their pay in playoff games. And they were doing that a few years back. That's why the Penguins were able to raise those two banners. That's why even going back to 09 with Malkin absolutely dominating in the playoffs, winning the consmite. But the past few years, we haven't really seen that with the Penguins elite. And that's, and that's one of the many, many issues, but, Historically, this franchise relies on star power to win championships, and they haven't had the stars showing up the way they should in 18, 19, and 20, and as a result, there hasn't been any additional banner-raising ceremonies um, in Pittsburgh, and I don't know when we're going to see that again. So. And you got to think time's running out, too. Uh, Crosby and Malkin both in their mid-30s. I mean, I know I, I compared it a little bit to the Steelers earlier, but – we're seeing two pretty similar situations pan out between two historically uh, great Pittsburgh franchises. I mean, your, your superstar or your superstars are aging. You know, Ben with the Steelers is 38 years old coming off elbow surgery. Crosby is 33 with a history of concussion problems. Malkin is 34. He's had his share of injuries. There might be some, some dark years ahead. I don't know if people are ready to face it. Uh, you know, we might have to face it on the football field and in the hockey rink, though, sooner rather than later. 
Maybe it depends how to learn how to draft instead of <laughs> trading their first round pick every day. Well, the good news is they have the 15th or what is it? The 15th or 16th, 15th overall 15th pick, pick this year after having good. a 12 and a half percent chance at Alexi Lafreniere, but um, we won't go into the draft lottery and how rigged that was with the ball drop with the Rangers. But um, the other changes, and we got to talk about this a little bit with the Penguins too before we wrap up on this topic. Uh, Sergey Gonchar, Mark Recchi, Jock Martin, all out as assistant coaches. So that means three assistant coaches will be coming into the dressing room with Mike Sullivan. And I, I talked about Josh Yohe earlier with the Athletic. I'm just saying he's thrown out Peter Lavalette. He's thrown out a bunch of other names. His names that could come in. Just a matter of whether or not Mike Sullivan would want to potentially have his replacement eventually on the staff. Uh, another name that he's thrown that I'm sure Penguins fans will get all crazy about is Matt Cullen. Uh, everyone wants dad back on the on the bench for the Penguins. I know that'll fire up Donnie. So, Horrible uh, nickname. <laughs> but Matt Any, Cullen's the name that he's thrown dad, the, the, Not the person, <laughs> but the nickname just sucks. I hate it. <laughs> so obviously those three changes, and then you've got a, a, a bunch of guys that are in restricted free agency or in unrestricted free agency. Your UFAs are Justin Schultz. Connor Sherry, Daniel Lafferty, or Daniel Lafferty, who am I kidding? Sam Lafferty, Kevin Roy, and, and Patty Marlowe. That's a little happy Gilmore from you, Joe. I can see that there. Uh, but those guys, I don't know if any of those guys, maybe with the exception, I mean, Kevin Roy is not a guy that has had an impact at the NHL level yet. He's only made cap hit of 850000 Sam Lafferty is a little bit uh, lower than that in terms of a cap hit. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Schultz go, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Connor Sherry go as an unrestricted free agent. Then you're talking Matt Murray, which we brought up a little bit earlier. The 26-year-old goaltender is near $4 million for a cap hit, and he's a restricted free agent, probably will command closer to 6 or 7 if not more. Uh, Evan Rodriguez is $2 million as a restricted free agent. Jared McCann, a restricted free agent. Uh, Anthony Angelo, Dom Simone, and, and Yuso Rikal are other guys, uh, at least of note, and, and Tristan Jari is too, but uh, of restricted free agents. But I, I don't know what anybody has takes on, on those guys. Uh, maybe some of those guys are shuffled out of the equation. Maybe Nick Bukestad, if somebody's taken his contract, is shuffled out. I don't know how he hits, fits with the Penguins. Maybe Patrick Hornquist is a guy that maybe could go. I don't think... Malkin or Latang is going anywhere. I just don't think Jim Rutherford has the cojones to trade Malkin, and I don't think he has the cojones to trade Chris Latang, even though I'd like to see Chris Latang go. Um, but in the end, I don't know that any of those guys go. Maybe it's a Murray that gets shuffled out. Maybe it's, like I said, Bukestad or Jared McCann, and we don't see Sherry or Justin Schultz back in a Penguin sweater next year. Well, I think we're done. Who? Not Murray. No, I, I think that if we can keep Murray and Jari under – 10 million total. I think they should aim for eight. I think, I think six and two's fair. I mean, Jari's still young. Like he, he, yes, he's shown promise, but I, I, I don't think he's, uh, he should be getting more than two, 2.5 and Murray obviously is showing his decline. So why should he get bumped up over six? So I think that if they can kind of keep them cheap, there's no reason to get rid of them. Why not keep both of them? They both had 20 wins. I know there's all this controversy, but they're both playing decent. You have to have two goaltenders. And as for Schultz, I think Schultz should be moved. There's no reason to keep Schultz. Move him. Get someone new in. Bugstad, I don't even know why we still have him. The dude has been here for, what, like a season and a half? How many games has he played? Like 10? You know? I think Hornquist is going to stay. They, they paid him big, and they, they, love, they love Hornquist. And if we don't have him – Who's going to be out there scrapping in front of the net, you know? So until Nobody. We can find, yeah, exactly. So until we can find somebody else, 
But yeah, I'd say right now we need to the Penguins need to keep Murray and Jari under ten million total and move Schultz, move Bukestad, Sherry, get him out and either give these young guys a chance. I like Bluger. I like Lafferty. Uh Polin is good. Give these guys a chance. It's time to just let these guys come up through. And I, I hope that we can keep Zucker. I don't know exactly what that deal is, if someone knows, but I, I think that I mean he, he had some good points going. And, well I know and that I know that the trade from the trade standpoint, they could have sent Minnesota back the pick this year in the first round. They ended up saying we'll give you the pick next year. Yes. Um, but I don't know what his contract's uh, situation is. Let me just pull yeah, up. Yeah, like I don't, real quick. I, I don't. Oh, he's not a, he's not a UFA. He was a rental, so, you know, if he can keep Zucker. No, he's not a rental. So we have him. So the Pens have him. And you look at it this way then. Next year, you're starting with Sid and Gensel on the top. And then you have Malkin and Zucker. He's and a, not to interrupt you, but he's a five and a half million cap hit until 2022 23 is his last season. Then he'll be a UFA. No reason to move him keep him I agree that's not a bad hit because then do what worked Sid Hornquist Gensel and then Malkin Rust and Zucker that is the two big lines you need and then dig deep and find your bottom six and like it's there but here we are speculating and I, and on how I good our team can be Brandon Tanev there, he, he, is, he needs he's to amazing. find a way to stick around, whether it's the third line or the fourth line. Oh, he! I mean, no, the Penguins have him for years. He's on like yes. a six-year deal. And no, everyone said the fantastic. cap hit's big. It's like, I think, $2 million a year. Yeah. And I didn't like that contract at all um, when they signed Tanev, mm-hmm. but I still think maybe six years is too much for a bottom six player, but you can't argue with how he played this year. Yeah, he's earned it. He hustles, and that's the thing too. A lot of people just didn't know him. Like that's a uh, he was a mix of a second and third liner and a good Winnipeg team. You know, like I just think him being on the West Coast, people just didn't really know him, and the deal is what scared them. But he has obviously proven he's a beast. And not to not to drive on this a little bit uh, too long, but last week Bob Airy uh, was on ninety three seven The Fan, and the name he threw out was Tom Wilson. He said, there's the guy I would like to have on this Penguins team. They need size, they need grit, and they need youth. Well, there's no chance Tom Wilson comes to Pittsburgh. I'll tell you that right now. A player that plays like Tom Wilson would be great, 100%. But that's a first line. He's literally on the first line in Washington. Isn't yeah, he's a good player. I think a lot I'd of people are yeah. just a He's good a bruiser ball. that can score. Yeah, but there's no chance that – there's no chance that they would move him. Why? Well, I'm, I'm all for a guy they like him. him, though, because yeah. they clearly need somebody like that. Because I, I feel like they're – and I know they're trying to Tanev's move Tanev's the most physical the, guy on the roster, and he ain't enough. Fact. Yeah, and I know hockey might be trying to move away from the, the old school uh, sort of mentality that there is around hockey, but the Penguins have zero guys that really intimidate any other team coming in that – do anything besides skill-wise like Crosby or Malkin. Yeah, and look at this. Do you guys remember who Ryan Reeves was traded for? Any idea? I don't remember. Yeah, he was he was sent to Vegas, obviously, for Tobias Lindbergh. And then the Penguins, like, traded him to Ottawa. Like, they literally just said, all right, Revo, see ya. Why? That's because Mike Sullivan hated him which doesn't make any sense because he's just, you know, 
a beast. That guy's not that bad for a fourth liner. He can he can score it a little bit. It's not like the and, guys are irrelevant. And he just goes out there and plays five minutes. The conference final. Yeah, sure. yeah. And when you have a guy like that sitting on the bench, you're not gonna. Tom Wilson isn't gonna go and run over. Zach he, Ashton Reese and break his jaw. He wasn't even getting a sweater by the end of his time with the Penguins, which was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's because Mike Sullivan doesn't want to play that style. He was they say I think they probably thought Reeves isn't fast enough for us. I got news from Mike Sullivan, and I got news for the Penguins fan base. This team ain't that fast anymore, and they're definitely not faster than most of the teams, the elite teams in the National Hockey League right now. Yep. Now here's the thing about speed that's changing in the NHL. Yes, the game is so much faster. But these teams are learning how to slow them down. Examples, Montreal, New York Islanders. They're, they're winning games, you know. Look at the Islanders. They're about to sweep Washington, are they not? Didn't they play game? Yeah, they embarrassed the Penguins last year playing that style. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, it works. It's annoying and it's boring to watch. Yeah, we got game four tonight, 8 p.m. And the Islanders are just going to, you know, sweep the Capitals probably, so. I mean, shit, going back about 20 years, the Devils won three Stanley Cups playing that way. Mm-hmm. It was awful to watch, but... Yeah, it wins, though. You know, you gotta, fi- you got to find a way around it. That is hockey. It's all about adjusting and finding the style that beats the team. It's all matchups. Yeah, it is. And, and we're seeing that play out in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now in the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto. All right, good stuff, guys. We Later in the episode here, we're going to be talking about the unwritten roles of baseball and the Fernando Tatis Jr. situation in San Diego over the last few days. And keep in mind, uh, just on that last part of the comment with hockey, is we're recording this on Tuesday night, August the 18th, for release tomorrow. So that's just something to keep in mind with the, Na- or the Nationals, the New York Islanders and the Washington Capitals situation. So we'll have more on the Fernando Tatis situation as well as talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs getting underway in the bubble in Orlando coming up on episode 11 of the come on network podcast the come on network podcast is available wherever you get your podcast be that apple podcast spotify breaker anchor or another Listen to past episodes anytime you want and don't forget to download episodes so they're available at your fingertips. We'd also appreciate a subscribe, rating, or review. You can find much more from the Come On Network on Twitter and Instagram at Come On Network. That's C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K, Come On Network. And you can find us on the web at comeon.network for blog posts, podcast episodes, columns, hot takes, and more including merch coming soon. And of course, as always, a thanks to Anchor, the best way to make a podcast. And now more of the Come On Network podcast. This is in the air to right field. Back it goes. Mendo has done it again. Fernando Tatis Jr., a grand slam. And the Padres go on top 14-3. Two home runs, seven RBIs for Fernando Tatis Jr., yeah, I think there's a lot of unwritten rules that are, you know, constantly being challenged, I think, in, in today's game. So, um, yeah, I didn't like it, personally. Um, you know, when you're up by seven in the eighth inning, it's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. That's kind of, you know, the way we were all kind of raised in the game. But, you know, like I said, the, the norms are being challenged on a daily basis. So just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. But uh, I don't think we liked it as a group. You know, I... 
probably starts with just you know hit, picking up the sign. I think like the the, the learning opportunity, and and just so you know, uh, a lot of our guys have green light, you know, three zero. Um, but you know, in this game in particular, um, you know, we we had a, a little bit of a comfortable lead, and you know we're we're not trying to um, you know run up the score or anything like that. And so uh, you know put on the, the, the take sign and, and um, you know, probably, probably see a strike right there. Back on the Come On Network podcast, it's episode 11, wherever you find your podcasts. As you heard there in our little commercial break and you just came off hearing what was going on Monday night, August the 17th, in the San Diego Padres game with Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, as we record this, as mentioned, on Tuesday, August the 18th, around 7 p.m. Tatis has already stolen third base in the game that his team was up 6 nothing, and I think it ended up being 6-4. I haven't checked on it since, but I thought the game was over. But uh, the unwritten rules of baseball are something that I think a lot of us younger fans uh, and younger followers of the game really don't really care for at a lot of points. I mean, there are some that I'll, I'll point to and look at, but how about this outrage for Fernando Tatis Jr. swinging at a 3-0 pitch in a game that was at the time 10-3, to hitting a grand slam, and then he gets not only berated by the opposing manager and Texas manager Chris Woodward, but his own manager, Jace Tingler, goes after him and said, well, number one, he missed a sign, which, listen, and I'll talk about this when I start to get into it. If he missed a sign okay, I'll listen to that argument, but a second thought on that, no MLB manager should be giving an MLB hitter a take sign. That's besides the point. He then goes after his own player and doesn't say anything about the next player that came to bat getting thrown at after, he, after Tatis Jr. hit the grand slam. This outrage to me is ridiculous, and I know it's taking the baseball world and the, the Twitter world by storm right now, but I just don't get it what the outrage for, for Fernando Tatis Jr. is. I don't give a damn if he swung at a 3-0 pitch. That might just be me, though. Yeah, I'm not going to go too deep into my general opinion um, on this because I think it's the same as everybody else's. Fernando Tatis is right, Chris Woodward's wrong, and that's the short answer. Um, there's nothing wrong with hitting a home run, especially if you've hit 11 in 22 games, which is – that's what now Tatis' 11th home run of the season already. The kid is an absolute monster. And where I kind of might diverge a little bit from the masses as far as my opinion is that I think whenever controversies happen surrounding the unwritten rules of baseball, it's good for the game. The days of Americans sitting in a coffee shop in, I don't know, Whitefish, Montana, and talking about reading the newspaper to see whether Joe D kept his hitting streak alive, those are long gone. For casual fans – to pay attention and care about what's going on in baseball during the regular season, there's usually some controversy at the center of what gets people talking. Aaron Judge hitting two home runs in a game isn't going to get a casual sports fan. Um, that's not going to be water cooler talk outside of New York City the way Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa accomplishing the same feat would have been 20 years ago. Whenever something happens that – creates that watercolor talk, drama, beef, pettiness, whatever you want to call it, that's involved oftentimes in baseball these days. Think, you know, Rugnet Odor clocking Jose Bautista a few years ago. 
the Pirates Reds drama last season with Derek Dietrich. So that was two bad teams, two teams that didn't make the playoffs, two losing teams, but yet four months of bad blood was built up because of that. And as a result, both seasons for each teams were a lot more interesting than there would have been if Dietrich didn't break the so-called unwritten rules. So I think what Tatis's Grand Slam did and what the Rangers' reaction to it did, it took an offside game between two mediocre teams and made it noteworthy on a night that otherwise would have been reserved for the NBA playoffs beginning in the sporting world. It kind of gave baseball a piece of the pie as far as what sports fans were talking about. So, yeah, Chris Woodward acted like a child. Uh, throwing at Machado was silly. I'm glad the Rangers are being disciplined by Major League Baseball for that. But I think whenever there's underlying drama involved in a baseball game that otherwise would be mundane and not getting any attention, as long as nobody ends up getting hurt, which nobody got hurt as a result of Tatis hitting a grand slam, if nobody gets hurt, I'm all for it. Let the kids play, man. Jesus Christ! If you don't, if you don't like it, don't groove one right down the middle to it a wasn't guy quite who right was, down the middle. But it was well, pretty much right down the middle. It, it's a three-zero pitch, and you're throwing to a guy he's that's trying to get me over. Making, he's currently making his claim to be the next big thing in the MLB, and he's doing a pretty good job of it. The, the one, what, one of the things I'm happy about out of the situation is that players have come to the defense of Fernando Tatis, both Hall of Famers that are, you know, long retired and even some current guys like Trevor Bauer. But, you know, yeah, you, Johnny Bench came to There's a ton of pitchers. Johnny Bench. Supporting Reggie him. Jackson. And Johnny Bench. Yeah, so, so you get Johnny Bench and Reggie Jackson, two Hall of Fame Major League Baseball players backing up Tatis for what he knows how to do best, and that's hit the ball 400 feet. I, I, I think – there's no reason to apologize. I mean, I know he's a 21-year-old kid. And I know he is basically pressured into apologizing, but it's just BS all around, you know, the, the unwritten uh, old man rules of baseball. Uh, it's really driving some people away, too, uh, in my opinion. You know, more people that are in our generation, I would say, than maybe our parents' generation. But there's kids that want to get into baseball and watch baseball and they're seeing like, oh, this guy can't even enjoy that he just hit a grand slam. Oh, you know, he's getting, you know, crucified because he made the game a complete blowout. That shouldn't be how it goes. I mean, yeah, I'm not always a fan of a below average player standing and admiring his home runs. I know uh, Joe brought up Dietrich last year, and we saw him do that plenty of times against the Pirates. I'm not always a huge fan of that whenever the guy is – really not that good of a baseball player other than the occasional long home run. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is soon going to be one of the best be players in all of baseball. Five years. So Whenever Mike Trout's ready to pass the baton, he is going to take over as the best player in baseball. That's that's my opinion. He's yeah, th 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 this was a, a manager being pissy about his team getting its ass kicked, so he wasn't a fan of it. But boo friggin' who? I mean, Tatis – one of the best players in the league, hits a grand slam. It won't be the last time that he hits a grand slam in his MLB career. I promise you that. Don't like it, pitch better. Don't leave a 3-0 fastball over the plate to one of the hottest hitters in baseball, to a superstar in the making. And for that matter, I don't give a damn. You're, you're down seven. That's your own damn fault. 
I don't want to hear about, oh, well, he hit a home run and made it an 11-run game. Who gives a shit? And, and I'll tell you what, what made me the most mad about the situation. And I've been going back and forth. I've been constantly scrolling on Twitter to try and find updates on this situation. Jace Tingler pissed me off beyond belief. I'm more mad at Jace Tingler than I am at Chris Woodward from the, the Texas Rangers. To me, the San Diego Padres manager, if it was me running that organization, he'd been packing his bags this morning. Number one, you don't stand up for your own guy. If you want to behind closed doors, and I think Craig Riley was saying this on Pirates pregame earlier on the fan, uh, if you want to behind closed doors tell Fernando Tatis Jr., hey, you missed a take sign, like that's probably not a pitch we should be swinging at, then I don't have a problem with that. But publicly, he should be backing up his guy, and then he should be furious that they threw at the next batter in the Padres lineup when he came to the plate. And I'd have been throwing things at that press conference to some Jace Tingler because of, of what happened with the next hitter. And the other thing, they went to the bullpen and took Juan Nicasio out, who God knows we've seen him throw a bunch of meatballs. I think Colin Dunlap this morning said he might as well get a job at Emporio, uh, the meatball joint here in Pittsburgh, because he just throws it right down the middle. And, and Tatis pulverized the baseball, as I put it on Twitter yesterday, and he has to apologize for that. Because there's an unwritten rule in baseball where if he swings at a 3-0 pitch with his team up seven runs, let me throw Miguel Del Pozo out there in the next inning. We'll see how long that seven-run lead stays intact at seven runs. I, I just don't get it. And, and I don't, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I don't want to repeat myself constantly. But it just doesn't make sense to me. This unwritten rule garbage really pisses me off. Um, there are some of the roles that, that are unwritten, I guess, if you want to say that, that I'll agree with and that I will uh, kind of lean towards being more traditional on. This isn't one of them. You're telling me that if, if Tatis Jr. takes the 3-0 pitch and then he throws another fastball in Acasio and it gets hit out of the ballpark, then it's not an issue because it was a 3-1 pitch as opposed to a 3-0 pitch or if it's a 2-1 or a 2-0 and he hits it out of the ballpark. I mean, I guess statistically the only argument is maybe you should take a 3-0 pitch because maybe you'll walk in a run. But at that point, swing the damn bat. I mean, you're one of the best hitters in the game. I'm green lighting every player in my big league lineup to swing at that pitch with the bases loaded if they think they can drive it. I have no problem with anybody taking a swing at that. I don't care if it's Colin Moran. I don't care if it's Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't care if it's Eric Gonzalez. If they think they can drive that pitch in a seven-run game, I'm, I'm giving them the green light to go ahead and swing at it. Well, yeah, you, you could take the, take the pitch, take the walk, and drive in one run or just swing the bat, yeah. put it over the fence, and drive <laughs> in four. This is, it, it's almost discouraging players to – strive for for the the best thing they can get in the game and you know you have young kids watching this thinking oh why is this guy getting in trouble for hitting a grand slam I thought that was a good thing so you have these little kids watching baseball trying to get their attention into baseball and you have a guy being discouraged from hitting a home run and just taking a walk what's more exciting as a viewer a bases loaded walk or a grand slam. I don't care what the score is. It could be a hundred to nothing, you know, for all I care. I mean, I'd much rather see a guy unload the bases and take one over the fence than just stand there, take four pitches and walk his way down to first. I agree with that. I don't necessarily agree that this is turning people away from baseball. Oh, I think it who is to a degree. Talking, I'm gonna let you finish. Rangers, so that didn't happen last night. I, I agree with that, but I do think to a degree, it is 
turning people away from what is supposed to be the excitement and the difference in the game that we haven't seen for a long time. I don't know if it is, though, because this is kind of making Fernando Tatis Jr. kind of a protagonist. I mean, you see this oh, guy. I mean, I've seen tweets today after I, I mentioned earlier at the outset of the segment here that he stole third base with his team up 6 nothing today. It ended up being 6-4. It's still 6-4 as we record this right now. I think they're in the eighth inning. But I, I'm, I think that even does better for Fernando Tatis Jr. is, is to run at first and second early in the game up 6 nothing and, and take third base. I don't. Here's the other thing, and, and Joe, I'll let you finish in a moment. Um, Here's my other question, and I sent this out on Twitter a little bit ago, and I don't think anybody has really responded to it, but this is a, a kind of a generic question. If last night on the 3-0 pitch, Tatis Jr. swings and rolls it over and hits him in, into a double play, what's oh, the response? Yeah. People either don't the, – the Rangers don't care because he didn't hit a home run that quote-unquote quote runs up the score – or if he dogs it to first base, he's getting shelled by the Padres fans, fan base, by the Rangers fan base, and anybody watching that baseball game, he's getting shelled for not running it out to first base. And that, that's my problem with it. If it's a 3-1 or a 2-1, a 2-0, there wouldn't be a problem with it. So why the hell is it a problem? Because it's a 3-0 pitch they took a swing at and didn't take it. I agree with that. And it's kind of – um, I think it's very confusing when, for several years, people criticize guys like Sterling Marte, Robinson Cano, uh, probably Gregory Polanco to an extent, uh, for not hustling, for not running hard enough after balls in the outfield, for not busting their ass down the line. But yet, if a guy's still playing hard when his team's up by seven in the top of the eighth, that gets criticism too. I think that's very contradictory. And a point I'd like to make about Tatis and his role kind of as I think most people probably see him as the good guy in this whole saga is that maybe last night there's a lot of people that probably don't think too much about Fernando Tatis Jr. or the Padres. This guy's only been in the league for not even two seasons, only has a little over 100 games over, under his belt. But last night, what ended up happening gets them thinking about Tatis. They look at the stats and see – hey, this guy's a pretty damn good player. And then maybe they watch a Padres game, see him hit two home runs and kind of get um, take a liking to how he plays. And that gets exposure for him as one of the game's superstars, which he is very close to becoming. I'd argue he already is a superstar, but if, if he isn't, he's not too far away. So I think that this day and age, baseball, any publicity a guy gets that doesn't involve you know, like a DUI or whatever the Astros are doing. Any publicity, most publicity is good publicity. And I think the publicity that Fernando Tatis Jr. got for hitting that Grand Slam late in a 10-3 game, it's going to help him. And it's going to generate exposure uh, to a guy that could be um, one of, if not the face of baseball within a fairly short period of time. Agreed, and we'll see how this situation kind of develops uh, with Fernando Tatis Jr. in the next couple of days into the weeks, the rest of the season. He's been fantastic for the Padres as they try to make a playoff push, but we'll take one more really short break. We're going to come back on the Come On Network podcast and talk a little bit about the NBA's push to the playoffs here as the NBA playoffs are underway in the bubble in Orlando. That is coming up next on Episode 11 of the Come On Network podcast.
The Come On Network podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, or another. Listen to past episodes anytime you want, and don't forget to download episodes so they're available at your fingertips. We'd also appreciate a subscribe, rating, or review. You can find much more from the Come On Network on Twitter and Instagram at Come On Network. That's C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K, Come On Network. And you can find us on the web at comeon.network for blog posts, podcast episodes, columns, hot takes, and more, including merch coming soon. And of course, as always, a thanks to Anchor, the best way to make a podcast. And now more of the Come On Network podcast. Back for one final segment on the Come On Network podcast. It's episode 11, available wherever you get your podcasts as you've heard. And we told you earlier in the podcast, we'd let you know a clue in on some special guests that are coming up on future episodes of the podcast. First off, in our NFL preview that will be coming up here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a longtime NFL reporter John Clayton on with us, so be, be sure to stay tuned for that. And then coming up in the next couple of weeks to the next couple of months or so, we don't, we don't know when we're going to get him on yet, but we'll have former Pirate catcher Jason Kendall on the podcast as well. So that's something to keep in mind. Two very special guests to look forward to, and we'll look forward to bringing you those in future episodes of the Come On Network podcast. But our final segment today takes us to the Orlando bubble and the NBA. The playoffs are underway as we record this. We've mentioned a few times we're recording Tuesday night, August the 18th. So we're in the midst of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Saturday's play-in game has already happened. Obviously, the Trailblazers with a four-point win over the Memphis Grizzlies to launch them into the eighth spot in the West. They'll play the Lakers in the series and have already played game one once you're hearing this uh, with Damian Lillard and him going nuts in the bubble. Uh, another big note outside of the playoffs is the Phoenix Suns undefeated in the bubble and they don't make the playoffs. But the Western Conference matchups, the Rockets and the Thunder, the Lakers and Trailblazers, and then the two that finished up game one on Monday, the Nuggets and the Jazz lead one nothing. Uh, the Nuggets do, and the Clippers beat the Mavericks by eight points. Uh, there was some controversy in that game with Chris Stapps Porzingis being tossed from the contest, uh, but that series will shift to game two. Now the Eastern Conference matchups, the Raptors and the Nets, as the Raptors begin their title defense with a win over the Nets in round one in that series. The Celtics with a win over the 76ers on Monday night, and the two Tuesday night games have already come to a completion by the time we're recording this as well. The eight-seeded Orlando Magic by 12 over the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Miami Heat by 12 over the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I think that there's a chance that these basketball playoffs are pretty entertaining. I think we're in a different year this year than we have been really in the course of the last four or five, six years with, with really there being not a lot of parity in the league whatsoever. Uh, with the Warriors and, and the Lakers, maybe last year a little bit before the LeBron injury, the Clippers were in there, the Raptors in the East, and Cleveland when LeBron was around. Uh, but I, I think this year's different, and I think the bubble allows for that a little bit too. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit better basketball. There's less defense being played, I think, than normally in the playoffs. But I think it's been exciting so far, and I think, uh, if anything, is the judge of these first couple of games in round one is to say I think we're in for an exciting NBA playoffs in the bubble. Yeah, the only series I really look at on either side that I think will be decided pretty handily, and I know, um, you know, based on game one, it certainly was. Uh, the Raptors and Nets, I think the Raptors probably have that one pretty easily in the bag, but hey, maybe the Nets will surprise us. 
otherwise, uh, some pretty exciting matchups, both on paper and so far on the hardwood as well. You know, the Nuggets and Jazz starting out yesterday, just you know, that was a very high-scoring, fun game. Um, in, the, in a loss, Donovan Mitchell with 57 points. Unfortunately, he's going to have to do pretty much all he possibly can, like he did the other day, to help his team survive in that series. Uh, a real surprise uh, on the, you know, the, the night that we're recording this, the Magic, the eight seed in the East, knocking off the Bucks by 12 in game one. I, I didn't expect that to be much of a series at all, but if the Magic can hang with the Bucks, uh, both of these 8-1 matchups, uh, I think just to highlight those for a minute, could be two pretty good series on either side. Uh, I know the Trailblazers and Lakers will have a lot of eyes tonight whenever those two or you know, by the time that you guys are hearing this, game one has already happened. But Trailblazers and Lakers as an entire series will have a lot of eyes, all because of the way Damian Lillard is playing. Everybody knows what to expect with LeBron, especially in the playoffs. But Lillard is just off his ass right now. That guy is a top five, maybe even top three player in the league at this very moment. Uh, he could will his way to a win or two in these playoffs. You know, an eight seed pushing a series to six games against a one seed. Uh, that, that's a pretty good series in my opinion. So if Lillard, uh, C.J. McCollum can have a, a solid series, uh, I think the Trailblazers can definitely give the Lakers a little bit of a scare. But in the end, you know, the Lakers clearly a, a tougher squad. And then with the Bucks, all that does so far is make my Celtics pick to be in the NBA Finals seem a little bit better, seeing them have trouble with the Magic to start off that series. The one thing that I'm intrigued to see, you mentioned Damian Lillard, is what kind of stars emerge um, in the playoffs in this bubble? You think about it, LeBron's getting older. He's still LeBron, obviously, but he's getting up there in age. Kevin Durant's injured. Stephen Curry obviously didn't play in the bubble at all. So now it's time for guys that basketball fans know and sports fans know, but maybe aren't thought of to be in that elite tier to kind of make a name for themselves. Donovan Mitchell scoring 57 points in game one is an example. Uh, Luka Doncic was absolutely excellent. Uh, we were talking about Fernando Tatis. Doncic's another guy that I think could be a top three player in the world or higher within a short period of time. Damian Lillard, he's a veteran, has been a star for a long time, but I don't think he's even been thought of as with his career in the same ballpark as a guy like Curry or Durant. So maybe he can kind of turn some heads that he hasn't turned already uh, in this playoff bubble. Um, I don't know if a changing of the guard is happening in the NBA as far as stars go with LeBron still at the top of his game. Kevin Durant uh, still being Kevin Durant for now. We don't know how he's going to be when he comes back. Um, Curry is still fairly young. So I think the stars that were um, kind of most prevalent a few years ago, they're still there. But maybe this bubble gives guys like Donovan Mitchell, like Damian Lillard, Porzingis maybe, and guys that kind of are overshadowed to an extent to break out now that, Steph and KD are out of the picture for the bubble. So I'm interested to see what kind of stars emerge, and we're starting to see it, especially with Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell, with Lillard scoring in excess of 60 points before the playoffs and Mitchell scoring 57 in game one. So we'll see what these guys can do, and I'm excited. It's game on as far as the NBA is concerned. 
We'll be looking forward to it and tuning into the NBA's platforms to watch the remainder of the playoffs as well as the NHL. And we're knee-deep into the baseball season at this point as well with football on the horizon. That is it for Episode 11 of the Come On Network podcast. As we said off the top, we appreciate the subscribe, the stream, the download, the rating, or review wherever you're listening to Episode 11 of the Come On Network podcast. We'd appreciate any feedback that you have for us or anything that you want to hear from us in the next couple of episodes of the podcast and beyond, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor, or anywhere where you get your podcast. We always do appreciate you listening, whether it is for just a couple of minutes or throughout the entire episode, which if our numbers are any uh, way to look at it, you are listening through the entire episode. So we appreciate that. As always, again, a reminder, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Come On Network, C-O-M-O-N-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. That's on Twitch as well, which that's going to be ramping up here, hopefully within the next couple of days to weeks on our Twitch account. And you can find us online on the web for blog stories, podcast episodes, uh, merch coming soon, and much, much more at comeon.network. Of course, as always, the Come On Network podcast is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor does everything for you and they'll do it for free. You can create and record your podcast live from the app or upload a pre-existing recording and Anchor will post and distribute it for you as well as even match you with potential sponsors. You can visit Anchor, our friends there, by downloading the Anchor app on iTunes or Google Play or by going to anchor.fm. For Austin Shaw, Joe Smeltzer, Donnie Chedrick, I'm Kyle Dawson. We'll see you next time on the Come On Network podcast, but until then, stay safe, stay happy, and come on.